Support for this podcast comes from Planned Parenthood. It's hard to imagine a world where we leave future generations with fewer rights and freedoms. Since the Supreme Court's decision to overturn Roe v. Wade, politicians in nearly every state have introduced bills aimed at blocking people from getting the essential sexual and reproductive care they need, including abortion. Planned Parenthood believes everyone deserves access to care. And with supporters like you, they can reclaim our rights and protect and expand access to abortion care. Visit PlannedParenthood.org future to learn more and support their cause. You know how to book flights and hotels. All you're missing is a tool to help you plan that unbelievable travel experience. That's why you need Viator. Book guided tours, excursions, and more in one place. There are over 300,000 travel experiences to choose from, so you can find something for everyone. And Viator offers free cancellation and 24-7 customer support for worry-free travel. Download the Viator app now and use code Viator10 for 10% off your first booking in the app. Find travel experiences for you. Do more with Viator. It's Today Explained. I'm Halima Shah, sitting in for Sean Ramos for him today. Almost a quarter of Americans only know a world in which the U.S. was at war in Afghanistan. Almost half of Afghans were born into that war. And just days ago, President Trump announced that after nearly two decades of waging that war, Americans are exiting Afghanistan and only leaving 2,500 troops behind. Andrew Quilty is a journalist in Kabul, and he's been following Trump's efforts to end America's forever war. Trump's attempts to end the war, I suppose, realistically began before he came to office. This destructive cycle of intervention and chaos must finally, folks, come to an end. He campaigned on ending, as he calls them, the endless wars in Afghanistan and Iraq and and in Syria at the time. We're a humanitarian nation, but the legacy of the Obama-Clinton interventions will be weakness, confusion, and disarray. A mess. But his attempts started to come into effect in 2018 when he sent a peace envoy to Doha, Qatar, to start negotiating with the Taliban. The Taliban, the Afghan government and the US envoy held three days of talks in Qatar. The talks were aimed at renewing the peace process in Afghanistan and eventually winding down America's longest war. This was something that the US had refused to do to acknowledge the Taliban regime and to negotiate a peace with them for, as we know, nearly 20 years now. After 18 months of talks and nearly two decades of war, the US and the Afghan Taliban have just signed a long-awaited deal aimed at paving the way to peace and the departure of foreign troops. In February this year, a deal between the Taliban and the US was signed, the Doha Agreement. The U.S. agreed to a withdrawal of all foreign forces. If the Taliban honours its part of the agreement, and that includes a 135-day initial period to reduce violence. It also called for talks to begin between the Afghan government and the Taliban. And the Taliban would not allow Afghanistan to be used by al-Qaeda or other transnational terror groups to conduct attacks on either them or their allies. 
And how was the deal viewed in Afghanistan? Initially, there was a lot of optimism with the deal. It had been so long that the parties to the conflict had refused to talk to one another. You had the Taliban refusing not only to talk to the Afghan government, but to acknowledge their existence. And you had the American government with a similar policy towards the Taliban. But it didn't take long until that hope and that optimism started to dissipate. Another day of deadly violence in Afghanistan. Levels of violence are worse than they have been any time in the last year, and they only seem to be increasing. In the capital, Kabul, gunmen disguised as police stormed a maternity hospital. They killed 16 people, including two newborn babies, mothers and nurses. Afghan forces have been refraining from offensive action against the Taliban as part of a ceasefire deal brokered by the United States. The Taliban deny involvement in the attacks, but there's a serious risk now that moves toward peace talks between the group and the government will be derailed. So basically the United States makes this agreement that the U.S. will pull troops from Afghanistan if the Taliban meets certain conditions. They haven't met those conditions, and Trump is basically pulling out those troops anyway. That's right. The U.S., NATO, and Afghan government officials almost on a daily basis complain that the Taliban are breaching the Doha Agreement, particularly by their ongoing use of violence, as well as their failure to disavow al-Qaeda. And yes, as you say, regardless of that, Trump has uh, made this recent announcement that he plans to withdraw troops even before the timeline has stated. The mind really boggles to try to understand how it would benefit either the US government interests or their Afghan government allies' interests by increasing the speed of the withdrawal of American forces. Have you spoken to any Taliban officials about what their plans are after US troops leave? I have. And the Taliban message has been consistent not only since the Doha Agreement was signed, but since the insurgency began in the mid-2000s. They have been all along and remain unwavering in their demands for a future Afghanistan. That being not only, as we've already mentioned, the absence of foreign forces in the country, but the implementation of a strict regime that operates with a strict interpretation of Sharia law, which, by the way, the the Afghan government and, and the constitution under which they run is based on a Sharia system. The Taliban, however, don't believe that it's followed according to the letter of the Quran. So what kind of position does this leave the Afghan government in? I mean, if the U.S. forces that are backing it are exiting and the Taliban just got what it wanted through this U.S.-brokered peace deal... Between a rock and a hard place, it put the Afghan government in an impossible position where they were forced, without consultation, to live with the agreement that was signed between the Taliban and the US government. The Afghan government were forced to release 5,000 Taliban prisoners from captivity in exchange for the Taliban releasing 1,000 Afghan government officials and security force personnel. So from the get-go, the Afghan government has had very little leverage with which to work in the ensuing talks with the Taliban. And at the same time, they have had to deal with a situation where the Taliban has been steadily ramping up their violence against the government. So not only 
do they have little leverage to work with? They also have a resurgent and a Taliban with uh, a huge amount of momentum, high morale, and a Taliban which is uh, retaking a lot of territory, inflicting a lot of casualties on Afghan forces, as well as uh, more recently Afghan civilians, activists, journalists, teachers, moderate uh, religious clerics. And this most recent Trump announcement bringing forward the withdrawal timeline um, further undercuts their position. What have your conversations with everyday people in Afghanistan been like? Are they expecting their lives to change? Afghans have been recalibrating their expectations for the coming years. And for the most part, certainly those who support the government or are sympathetic towards a a future of democracy are less and less optimistic about the future. There is, I think, a greater expectation that the future holds a return to a more conservative form of government, if not a complete return to the pervasive and dictatorial Taliban regime that they lived under in the late 90s. However, it depends largely on which Afghans you're talking about and where they live. What I've just described is certainly true for perhaps a majority of Afghans living in big urban centres like Kabul, where I am, where the benefits of the American intervention have reaped rewards. In more rural areas, in in the, uh, the rural districts of Afghanistan, those changes have been felt far less. And life, to be honest, has, has changed very little in the last 20 years. The one big change that would come if a, an agreement was made, whether it's a, a peaceful one or whether the Taliban are able to uh, take power by force, is that it potentially means the end to the violence, which is the one thing that people in rural districts have across the board had to live with for the past 20 years. Andrew Quilty is a journalist based in Kabul. He hosts a podcast called Afghanistan After America. President Trump's defense secretary opposed the troop drawdown that he just ordered. So, he fired him. Now, the world is his oyster. That's after the break. Support for Che Explained comes from FX's The Veil, starring Elizabeth Moss. If you like spy thrillers or indeed Elizabeth Moss, then you might want to check out FX's The Veil. It's an international spy thriller that follows two women as they play a deadly game of truth and lies on the road from Istanbul to Paris and London. Oh, I'll go. One woman has a secret, same here, and the other has a mission to reveal it before thousands of lives are lost. FX's The Veil, now streaming only on Hulu. Support for this podcast comes from Planned Parenthood. 
Your body is your own. That's why Planned Parenthood is committed to ensuring that everyone has the information and resources they need to make their own decisions about their bodies, including abortion care. Today, lawmakers who oppose abortion are challenging Planned Parenthood. Affordable, high-quality basic health care for more than 2 million people is at stake. Planned Parenthood believes that health care is a basic human right. That's why they fight every day to push for common-sense policies that protect our right to control our own bodies. They also work tirelessly to oppose the onslaught of new policies aimed at interfering with personal decisions best left to patients and their doctors. They won't give up and they won't back down. You can join Planned Parenthood in the fight to help make sure that the next generation can decide their own futures. The organization needs your support now more than ever. With supporters like you, they can reclaim our rights and protect and expand access to abortion care. Visit PlannedParenthood.org future to learn more and support their cause. Alex Ward, you write about all things foreign policy at Vox. Donald Trump has lost the election. He's only in office for like two months. So why is he picking right now to pull troops out of Afghanistan? Because he's always wanted to. But he always felt that he was a bit boxed in because of an election coming up and because a bunch of folks, especially in the Republican Party, didn't want him to do it. But now with the election over, he has the space to actually follow through on a promise that he had made for quite some time, which is, I'm going to end the war in Afghanistan and in Iraq. And it has an added bonus, I think, in his administration's mind, of boxing in an incoming Biden administration. Even though Biden has said he would want to end the war within his first term, bringing it at 2,500 troops, it makes it harder for Biden to either withdraw any, because then people will say there's just not enough around, or, of course, if he wants to add, that is politically tough for him to do. Uh, it will go against a progressive base. So there are some pros and cons for Biden, but definitely a lot of pros for Trump in this move. Should we be surprised at all that Trump is making a major foreign policy move in his lame duck period? Yeah, we see often in past administrations that they they plan for drawdowns or changes to happen right before they leave office. Um, Obama did something similar what you normally don't see is this kind of staff shakeup at the Pentagon that makes such a policy possible. So on November 9th, Trump tweeted that he terminated Defense Secretary Mark Esper. Mark Esper and President Trump have long been at odds. He signaled last week that he was likely done when he penned a resignation letter and had it at the ready. He didn't need it because the president Twitter fired him. Esper fought Trump on two pretty big things. First, that he didn't want to send American active duty troops into the country to quell anti-racism and anti-police protests. The option to use active duty forces in a law enforcement role should only be used as a matter of last resort and only in the most urgent and dire of situations. We are not in one of those situations now. And then the other aspect was Trump had said, I want all U.S. troops out of Afghanistan by Christmas. And Esper was part of also that pushback. So Esper's out, replaced him with a guy named Christopher Miller. By January 15th, our forces, their size in Afghanistan will be 2,500 troops. People who know him and I've talked to say he's not really a Trump loyalist, but he's someone who is sympathetic to Trump's worldview and, and has made statements openly to the effect that it is time to end the wars in, in Afghanistan and has sent even two memos to Pentagon staff making this very clear. And then two other moves, one moving Trump loyalist Cash Patel to chief of staff at the Pentagon, an aide to Devin Nunes and believe that the Obama administration was spying on Trump, and then also moving Ezra Cohen-Watnick. He's again another Trump loyalist 
And he's someone, if he's going into the Pentagon with any kind of an agenda, he could actually push some of that through in the next couple of months. Some people worried that this kind of quick staff shakeup was going to lead to Trump sending troops around the country as some part of a coup. That was not the case. This was really mostly about Afghanistan and perhaps uh, securing other foreign policy objectives down the line. Trump is already using his final days in office to tout his foreign policy record in the last four years. We saw Secretary of State Mike Pompeo do a kind of victory lap in Israel. So it is hard then to think of a more symbolically provocative final act. Mike Pompeo on a farewell tour of Israel, visiting the Golan Heights and a settlement in the West Bank. Trips never before made by a U.S. Secretary of State. A farewell gift to Israel and yet more outrage from Palestinians. What new foreign policy decisions could Trump push through now that he's relatively unrestrained? A bunch of stuff. This is Trump unchained more than any other time we've seen. One thing he could do is perhaps uh, go a bit harder on Iran, perhaps even attack Iran. There have been reports that Trump has asked for options to strike the country after uh, it became clear that they had stockpiled more uranium than uh, was previously allowed in the Iran nuclear deal, which the U.S. is no longer party to. That much uranium could conceivably make enough for two nuclear bombs. However, Iran denies that it seeks a nuclear weapon. And Trump was talked down from that. But that's the kind of thing that people are worried about, that the folks he has at the Pentagon may be more interested in pushing him in that direction, although it'd be quite the irony for Trump to draw down two wars in the Middle East and then start a, a massive new one. I feel like if I was the Biden administration right now, like my palms would be sweating because it seems like this would be the point where you're transferring Rolodexes and maybe setting up your new email. But right now, Trump is contemplating potentially bombing Iran. Sure. I'm sure the Biden administration would not want to have to deal with that, especially as it's trying to deal with a declining economy and a pandemic. Uh, again, I think the chances of that are still very extremely low, and I want to make that abundantly clear. But, you know, the chance isn't zero, uh, especially when you have the president asking for options to strike. Another thing, though, I guess I would say is if I'm Biden, I'm somewhat taking the Afghanistan news as a gift. And the reason is Biden has been pretty clear. Again, he wanted to end the Afghan war by the end of his first term, so within four years. But within those four years, he wants to set up a counterterrorism and intelligence force. Well, people I talk to say that 2,500 troops, which is the number that will be there, is the floor for that kind of force. So if you're Biden, you kind of had the hard stuff done for you. Like, he may have the number that he was going to eventually go to anyway, now done for him. So he may have missed that political uh, moment and, frankly, should be thanking Trump for that, if that is indeed the case. I guess it seems sort of ironic with the Afghanistan move that it's something that Biden might appreciate, but members of Trump's own party don't seem too happy with it. Nothing about the circumstances we face today suggests that if we lose resolve, the terrorists will simply leave us alone. Why is this the particular thing that the GOP is criticizing Trump for? And I find that striking, too, right, that Trump can mess with the foundations of our democracy and, and hear nothing from McConnell. But the second Trump pulls out a couple thousand troops in Afghanistan, then you hear him complain. Look, there are a couple of issues here. One is just certain politicians believe that the military mission should continue until it's won, right? America doesn't cut and run. And the possibility that the Taliban overtakes the government like it did before could happen again when the U.S. leaves. So Republicans don't seem to like that. And some Democrats, frankly, don't either. 
but it seems like Republicans want to finish the job where Democrats are saying it, it, it's time to head out. Also, no politician wants to be on record basically applauding a withdrawal in the case that things get worse. So two possible scenarios. As the U.S. leaves Afghanistan, you could imagine, as I just mentioned, the Taliban taking over the government, um, you know, grabbing more territory, killing scores of, of men, women, and children. And then the, some people will say, ah, you see, that person applauded the withdrawal, but look at what's happening. They are bad on national security. Another thing that could happen is terrorist groups plot attacks within Afghanistan, either on the U.S. homeland or against Americans in the Middle East or elsewhere. And again, people come back to the politicians that applauded the withdrawal. So it's almost politically better in a way, despite the polls showing people want out of this war to just kind of say, continue the course. So you're saying that Biden might appreciate what Trump has just done, but there's also a chance Trump handed him a bigger problem. I'm not sure he handed him a bigger problem, but he did hand him a problem. I mean, let's be clear. Trump promised to end the forever wars, Afghanistan being the clearest example of it, and he didn't. I mean, drawing down to 2,500 troops is not ending the forever wars. It is continuing it. This is the greatest admission yet, and perhaps the last one we'll get, that he couldn't do it. That despite his own views and what he really wanted, he just couldn't move the government machinery well enough to draw down to zero. And this now means Afghanistan is Biden's problem, the fourth president now, to have to contend with Afghanistan. And he might not be able to end it either. Or Biden actually becomes the president to end the fight that Trump couldn't. And we'll see whether that's the case over the next four years. Alex Ward covers foreign policy for Vox. I'm Halima Shah. This is Today Explained. Support for this show comes from Fundrise. Buy low, sell high. It's easy to say, hard to do. For example, high interest rates are crushing the real estate market right now. Demand is dropping and prices are falling, even for many of the best assets. It's no wonder the Fundrise flagship fund plans to go on a buying spree, expanding its billion-dollar real estate portfolio over the next few months. You can add the Fundrise flagship fund to your portfolio in just minutes and with as little as $10 by visiting Fundrise.com Fox. Carefully consider the investment objectives, risks, charges, and expenses of the Fundrise flagship fund before investing. This and other information can be found in the fund's prospectus at Fundrise.com flagship. This is a paid advertisement.